passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. It is a brand new week here at Post Wrestling, and kicking things off, it is Rewind a Raw. Typically, the uh, the biggest ask I have of any guest co-host of a given week, and doing the honors this week. You know him, you love him. Former WWE writer, a a longtime member of the extended Post Wrestling family, Brian Mann is here with us. Brian, how are you? Uh, I'm great. I spent my evening very well. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, thank you so much. Well, uh, thank you for uh, for stepping in to uh, to do this with us uh, because uh, Raw is not always the uh, the easiest one, but it's coming at a, an interesting time, I think, in in WWE's uh, entire history. So that was uh, part of the uh, I- interest uh, of having you on to chat about all of these uh, recent changes, and we will see uh, how they are playing themselves out. But uh, I want to welcome everyone that is uh, joining us live in the uh, the chat room. We will be getting to your feedback later on. If you want to throw in uh, your super chats, you can do so. Uh, just some quick. Uh, notes here at the site coming up this week on the post wrestling cafe we have three g1 shows uh beginning on tuesday uh, i will be with bruce lord then wednesday mike murray is joining me and sunday karen peterson for a, a double shot of the g1 climax reviews we've also got mcu later returning on thursday night with wh park rich fan from the pro wrestling torch site and john Cena. so uh in full effect this week on the post wrestling cafe we also have other shows uh that are going to be dropping including all of our regular ones and you can check those out at postwrestling.com but how have you been brian how has life been and uh what have you been up to oh uh i think life's been pretty great pretty you know it's a weird time for the world but i'm pretty happy with uh how it's treating me personally uh i haven't really been uh, i gotta be honest haven't been watching much of wwe lately Mm -hmm. So this was, uh, you know, this was new for me, obviously. Uh, I mean, the last time we, we would have spoken was, uh, was it the day that Vince announced that he was like, there, it was the investigation, was that, or that he was stepping away? I think we did a show the day he was stepping away. Right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was the first, I, I think it was the very, I think it was the initial one, right? When it was like the, the first Wall Street Journal story. So that would have been like was- mid-June. Right, and they're like, "Oh, he'll he'll be on SmackDown tonight." And I remember I predicted yes. this could be the last time we see him on WWE TV. I was off by two appearances, but I wasn't so far off. Um, I mean, that's the thing that's been the craziest about this is that obviously we can say the thing with Steph when she came out and they chanted "Thank you, Vince" was a little weird. 
the weirder thing to me was the fact that they did not even put an image of him on screen. And they were also they were in the garden four days later, and they're like, no, sweep this under the rug, get this out of here as quickly as you can. It's just, it is wild to think that Vince McMahon retires from WWE, and they don't even put his picture on screen. It's, yeah. it really I- shows you the gravity of the situation. It, it really does. I mean, it, it makes you see that that just the fact that they felt uh, secure enough to send Stephanie out there um, and clearly did not have that same confidence by Monday that other than the the, the Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman, you know, allusions uh, to Vince very subtly, like Vince feels like it's it's just a subject we are not going to address in any way publicly. They will, you know, put over Vince and his contributions, but it's it's very much limited to that. Like they are not going to, um, they, they are not going to glorify this figure on their own broadcast. And it was something to see that that first Raw, the show he's going to be most associated with, and his actual name was never mentioned the week after he walks out. And I, I cannot say it's the it's the wrong call that they're making either. I think that this is very much positioning this as this is the new WWE and it's a post Vince world that they are moving through. And once they got through that first day where the stock took no, no ill effect, it's like there's optimism about a sale. There's optimism uh, on many fronts. Vince was not this, this anchor, uh, his exit at least Mm -hmm. wasn't that they probably always thought would be the case. Well, and honestly, I think that a little bit of that, you know, only Vince can do this. I think it was a little bit of, you know, myth making that he put out there. And I think that over the last couple of years, um, obviously we have no proof of this, but if I had to say, if I had to predict, um, I think that his instability um, has probably been very clear to people on the inside. And I think that if you are a member of that board, or maybe if you are talking to high up uh, investors, I think maybe they they let people know that this is not going to be an issue. This is actually for the best. Getting Vince out of here, the whole thing's not going to come tumbling down. Um, yeah, I, I think that we've seen um, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of very erratic decision making, and I think that um, I don't know. It's 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 so it's such an interesting situation because it, it is twofold, and I think with Vince not going out there. Uh, that first or that final night when Steph went out and then not showing his photo, I have to say that that feels like that was maybe more of a network decision of we don't want him seen. And then once the stuff comes out about the SEC investigation where it's like, okay, no, this company cannot have any connection to this guy because now there are much larger implications of that. It isn't simply um, who we would love, like, is Vince still the puppet master? No, he cannot have contact with these people because of ongoing federal investigations. It's a very different, it, this is more than just a PR uh, sort of uh, view now. So if you are looking at this as kind of the um, the Vince McMahon farewell story, okay, if this were a documentary, what chapter are we on when it comes to Vince McMahon? Are we right at the end or are there chapters to come? Uh, I think it really depends on how this investigation goes. You know, if they, I don't think he's going to get out free and clear, but I also don't know if he's necessarily going to go on trial. Uh, I don't think it'll go that far, but he'll, maybe he gets hit with a penalty. Maybe there's some sort of, you know, I, I don't know what sort of penalty they can, they can throw his way. I think he's out of the company for good. I don't think they, they can, they can bring him back after this. Um, 
How about how about his career options beyond uh, WWE? I mean, the guy is turning seventy seven in just a few weeks, right. and I mean, he is he is loaded with capital if he mm-hmm. if he will be received in in the business community. I mean, he is coming off a pretty public. Um, I, I would say a pretty damaging end with with the XFL, and then yeah. this is compounded on top of that. So his name is probably the most damaged we have, we have seen it um, in our lifetime at this point, and that does cover a lot of ground. But the uh, the combination of those, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he can do. Um, I think the XFL and everything that happened with Oliver North is very. Um, if you are a high up figure, I think that you're not wanting to get into business with this guy. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just don't see what's next for him. I don't know what he would want to do. I don't know who would want to do it with him. Uh, I think it's just collecting a lot of money and um, remaining private. Maybe in a couple of years, they, the company tries to bring him back with a Hall of Fame induction or something in five or 10 years. Maybe. I highly doubt it. Um I, I think it's a very small chance at this point. Yeah. I mean, so, sometimes it's very difficult. Like we we are in the midst of a of a controversy of a scenario, and it just looks like the point of no return. And sometimes the public has very um, very short memories when it comes to that of figures that they find very endearing. And a year from now, maybe maybe the stink on Vince is not going to be uh, what it is now. But it, it's very hard to imagine that. As I say all of this about like this Vince McMahon story, it's like if you had a documentary uh, that Netflix had been working on, uh, this is like an actual um, hell of an ending to it. If um, if you were to actually be going through with that, unfortunately, it looks like this Netflix documentary uh, that they had been uh, spending all of this time and money on uh, probably not going to see the light of day if the reporting out there is correct. Right. Well, it, it sounds like with that documentary, most likely WWE had some form of final cut, uh, something along the lines of, well, we won't allow you to use the footage. Uh, like we won't actually sign the releases until we approve of what it is. So I think that's probably where it's at right now is that even if Netflix, I, I, just, look, I, I just don't see why WWE would want that out there. Oh, they wouldn't. I mean, that's exactly. that's, so that's, that's the reality, Brian, of so many yeah. of these big documentary projects is that you want mm-hmm. these large figures involved um, in order for them to sit down with you and share that story. Like they they want to have that that certain element of control on it, whether it's a uh, Michael Jordan figure or Derek mm-hmm. Jeter. I mean, that's just the reality of a lot of these big, um, you know, th- these documentary projects. And that's going to be the level of control you you give up when you're working with a wwe absolutely yeah i think that that's i think it's probably fair to assume that what we saw at wrestlemania this past year with pat mcafee was maybe going to be the end of that documentary of you know look at this guy still 77 out there in the ring wrestlemania his greatest creation uh and then all this happens and you know i've, I've said it with other figures and i think it goes true with vince mcmahon a lot of these older figures they've just got to know when to hang it up. If Vince McMahon five years ago had said, hey, putting Hunter in charge, going to go off in the sunset, WWE would have dedicated a year to this guy's swan song. It would have been a countdown constantly. He could have gone to the Hall of Fame. They, he would have gotten all the fanfare and he would have rode off like a hero. Um, were you not there when they... <laughs> were you there when they did the, the in-ring kind of farewell events with Hunter and the tears are flowing? Like they did pretty much the passing of the torch segment. And this was 2011. 
that was pretty much, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was maybe a week before I started. I started uh, at SummerSlam uh, uh, 2011. And part of the, the intrigue of that story for everyone that was backstage was pretty much, hey, this is what's going to happen. Hunter's going to take over. And we're kind of telling that story uh, in, in real time. It never ended up going anywhere. Unfortunately, it sort of, you know, fell apart because uh, Vince lost interest in it as what happens with most stories. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was the idea. And I kept hearing from people that were still there, like, yep, Hunter's taking over. Hunter's taking over next year. This is supposed to be Vince's last mania. This is Vince's last mania. This is Vince's last mania. Um, until we saw everything that happened with him and Hunter over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of would always say this, this isn't based off anything I, I heard, but if Hunter was anyone other than his son-in-law, um, Vince would have fired him years ago because that's just what he does. We seem to do this over and over again. Anyone that starts to kind of threaten his power inside the company or maybe is a little more popular than him, he gets rid of them. He gets rid of people that he sees as a threat. And Hunter was just one person he couldn't get rid of. Uh, well, one person that it looks like uh, has been uh removed is John Laurinaitis. Uh, PWInsider.com was uh, the first to report today that it appears that, that Laurinaitis is gone, and I think everyone saw that as a formality after he was put on administrative leave, and you had Bruce Pritchard put in that position in an interim basis, and then Paul Levesque uh, taking it over. So uh, no surprises there with uh, John Laurinaitis, and um, uh, that that seems to be one that, I mean, that, that was about as slam dunk a conclusion as one was going to uh, see coming out of the, the story. It was just a matter of when. Exactly. I think if, if I had seen somewhere this, they pretty much the corporate kind of investigation had to run its course before they could officially terminate him. So I'm assuming that maybe at least as far as it pertains to him, it's concluded. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think I would just say, wait until the report comes out and everything that we hear. Um, but listen, you know, Vince had a Vince had a circle. You know, that's kind of what you can say. Yeah. The the conclusion of like the findings of this investigation, like I, I do believe like this this board of directors, um, like like I do feel we're gonna see like transparency here of like the findings mm-hmm. of this investigation. I don't think this is gonna be a simple uh one sentence press release of uh, you know, we have made our findings and blah blah blah. Like I think you will get some some substance and Obviously, it will be like how deep it goes, because those are a lot of the interesting questions of what were the specific events that led to Vince McMahon's exit as it was like, what was the pressure that he was up against? And was it him just realizing this was unwinnable, which is hard to imagine, or this was just sheerly um, that this was almost it's a fascinating aspect to all of this of what what led to that, because, you know, in typical Vince McMahon's uh fashion you would think like this guy would be um the last one on the on the ship no matter what the outcome is forecasting absolutely i i I think it's the sec situation um i think it's that investigation that the company absolutely has to cut ties with him as a publicly traded company so there's no weathering the storm on this one there's no well this will blow over no the longer that you stay here the worse that it gets so i think that really was the thing that that forced it if if um those investigations didn't happen as awful as the allegations were and as awful as what they um, kind of confirm about how aspects of that place were run, um, I don't think it was enough. I don't think it was enough to, to get him out. But I think that uh, it becoming a criminal investigation with the SEC and these financial crimes, I, I think that's what really 
there is no choice. Uh, just a few other uh, news stories from today before we get into the Raw review. Uh, numbers from Friday. Uh, SmackDown, unlike Raw, didn't really get the post-SummerSlam bump. They were uh, they were down in viewership and the demo, but still number one on television. So um, not, nothing to, to sneeze at with uh, 2,093,000 viewers down 4.5%. And the demo was down 5% at a 0.49. Where they really got hit was in 18 to 34, which fell 25% uh, last week. It was one of their lowest 18 to 34 numbers. I believe since May uh, Rampage on the other hand uh, they were coming off that really low number the week prior and they bounced back with a uh, 25% increase in viewership to 468,000 viewers fifth on cable uh, with a 0.15 in the demo so um, they were up uh, across the board it was a, a big rebound for them uh, the last week their highest viewership since um, uh, the beginning of July uh, demo wasn't like through the roof or anything but at least um, uh, stop the bleeding after last week. And then we also have uh, the announcement from Vice TV, the confirmation that Tales from the Territories will be premiering October the 4th uh, with the team that did Dark Side of the Ring, Jason Eisner and Evan Husney, as well as Seven Bucks Productions, led by Dwayne Johnson, who narrated the trailer that they put out. And this looks to be the... Uh, the shift of Dark Side of the Ring. There's been no word on Dark Side of the Ring proper uh, resuming. Um, did you get to see this trailer at all, Brian? And uh, what, what do you think about this uh, concept as there will be more wrestling content on television come this fall? Uh, I haven't seen the trailer yet. Uh, I, I didn't get to catch it today. But uh, listen, this seems like a great uh, shift. Um, I know that there have been people at least saying that, like, hey, this is a great uh, shift from WWE standpoint, because they're no longer going to be doing stories that happen within WWE involving WWE's, um, you know, key figures. Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, these are all happening pre WWE. They kind of, their hands are a little, uh, you know, free and clear of it. It's a way to sort of look at a different era before Vince McMahon, you know, moved it to the arenas and whatnot. Uh, but Hey, there's a lot of uh, interesting stories there. I think that they do a great job with that show. So um, yeah, Curious to see what what stories they tell out of it. But uh, this new concept certainly protects the WWE IP, I would say. They could have gone uh, Tales from the Bar back when uh, all these promoters were <laughs> running, the you know, the, bars. the local saloon where they'd uh, they'd pack them in, you know, Vince Sr. with uh, with Bruno headlining the uh uh, the the local brewery uh, down 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 in New York City, uh, so yes, that will be premiering on October the fourth, and uh, Tuesday we'll get the uh, the numbers for uh, Battle of the Belts and uh, the whole A and E block. Have you caught any of these uh, uh, of any of the A and E programming? I have. I've, I've caught uh, portions of some. I recently uh, actually I didn't watch the whole thing, but I skimmed the Bellas one, and it's very interesting that. Uh, Apparently, Brian Danielson is a, a minor footnote within Brie Bella's life. Uh, they met and they fell in love. And that, that's all you really got to worry about. There's no other. They, they really know the larger influence uh, in, in, in her life uh, that I found that particularly. Um, it, it's funny because th th that's one I, I have not seen any of the Bellas mm -hmm. one, but I, I've caught like bits and pieces of like the other one and uh, several others. And it's amazing how many AEW people were given the go ahead to do sit downs. Like I've seen Jim Ross on these, Paul White, uh, Billy Gunn's going to be on this DX one uh, mm -hmm. this weekend. So it looks like, you know, certain AEW talent. This was not uh, one where they were not uh, preventing them from doing this. I did see the Luger one on yeah. Sunday night. That was that was very interesting because sometimes Way and I will, will joke about when WWE puts out these documentary ones and just the footage they have because they're just rolling on everything mm -hmm. like in between 
interviews. They, they've got you miked. I don't know if I've ever seen someone that was more uh, focused upon than Luger as they're trying to talk about how difficult he was with fans and being on the road for the Lex Express and pretty much to a person talking about how, how much of an ego this guy had in his, um, in his active days and then all of his problems that he endured during the, the latter parts of his life. And at the end, kind of painting this picture of somebody that, you know, went through a stroke and he's now in a wheelchair and yet he seems to be as happiest now uh, as compared to at a time when he pretty much ha- had the world under his thumb. Um, it's an interesting story. Like you can look at Luger as this tragic figure, but seems to be one that, I mean, has kind of, you know, what religion is going to have a different impact on on different people and they're going to have different uh, philosophies on it. But it seems for him that that was something this guy that that is something he utilized to uh, to find uh, peace in in his life at the end. That's that's definitely the one that I think I'm the most interested in uh, in checking out. That is such a you know it's a, there's tragedy. They, they go pretty hard on him, yeah. like like during the wrestling day. Like you just have person after person. Like you, you know you have his people that that back him up, and there was all, all, overall I think like a a positive view of Luger by those interviewed. But during his wrestling days, like. It's pretty consistent. Like everyone is talking mm-hmm. about, you know, his limitations and his attitude. Like it seemed like that was a consistent thread of everyone that's interviewed in this. Yeah. I mean, that's always what you hear uh, about the guy. Um, yeah. So there you have it. Uh, all your latest news and notes you can find up at postwrestling.com. And we're going to get into tonight's edition of Raw, which I guess would be our our second episode of like a full Paul Levesque episode of raw and before we get into like all the segments and stuff brian um yeah especially as someone with with kind of your, your background uh working on the show is there anything that is jumping out to you it's it's still very early days here of the changes but are you are, are you sensing little or or big changes from what you have had a chance to see so here's what i will uh, i'll just maybe a thesis statement just table setting here at the beginning love it um I think we've seen a lot of positivity around the change in raw uh, online. And I will say I watched SummerSlam and I liked most, uh, most of SummerSlam. Um, I will say, however, I think a lot of the positivity about the shift in raw comes from people who watch raw every week. And I think maybe have a lower standard because John, thank you for doing this to yourself for the past decade. We, all of us have, we are able to keep, in touch with this because of the the anthropological study you have done over the past decade, continuing to watch this show. I have no Um, idea what's gone on on the world on Monday nights (laughs) for the last uh, 12 years. Now, that being said, I think that there are, I I think that the booking of the show is not as flat out kind of offensive as it maybe was a couple months ago, where they just clearly just had no concern or interest in like entertaining their audience. Um, but I still think there are major, major problems with the way that they produce their television, the way they put their television out. And people can say it all day. Three hours is hard. Yes, I think they've also gotten lazy. Go watch a three-hour Raw from six or seven years ago. Every segment, what every match wasn't going multiple segments. They weren't doing the number of non-finishes that they do. They weren't just not advertising anything for the third hour. These are all things that have changed over the last couple of years. I think it'll take a lot more to fix those issues. And I think where Hunter's back, where Hunter's back is against the wall is that he spent years building his team and his roster. And most of them are gone. 
um, which has led him to, as we saw on Friday and as we saw on tonight's show, uh, have to have to do some big returns that don't necessarily feel so like, um, I don't think there'd be people, they were people he'd be putting all his chips on, uh, in, uh, in other, um, if the situation were a little different, I'll put it that way. Yeah. I, I would say for, for this show, like it seems, and again, we're, we're pretty much basing this off of, off of two weeks and we're really mm-hmm. going to need some time before we see like the true, like philosophical, um, Ideas that Paul Levesque has, especially for your your major main roster programs. Like, I don't think he's looking to just transplant what what, what worked for NXT several mm-hmm. years ago and put it on to Monday and, and Friday nights. But it does seem like there is more of a focus on putting matches together that are, are just better quality wrestling matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, finishes it's it's this this guy is not giant baba in 1990 where we're going to strictly clean finishes like that that is not mm-hmm. happening uh I, I did like the fact that they tried to introduce like this thread of what is going on throughout the show with if you're paying attention to uh the whole parking lot scenario and getting uh something at, at the end i wouldn't call yeah. it a payoff but there there was something at the end if you did stay right until the end and it and it does seem like they are trying to at least piece together stuff for next week setting up something for two weeks which i can't remember the last time on raw we had hey in two weeks this match is going to be taking place i mean we're we're going back probably a decade before that that long of a match was uh set up so i think you are seeing little things but I, i'm also not ready to draw any conclusions based off of two weeks of programming yeah. where like to your point it's not like paul levesque was like slowly being you know in, in some ways he was being groomed for this role but then it hit a brick wall and this has all come together very mm-hmm. fast. You are suddenly tasked with uh, overseeing all of the programming, all of the creative. And it's, it's a lot on your plate that you're taking. And, and it's also, it's the top show on cable at the moment. Like there is mm-hmm. a certain level of maintaining that you have to do on top of this versus just, you know, putting a stick of dynamite into this part the pun and blowing this up. I mean, I think if you look back uh, just as an example, remember, that great SmackDown that happened because everyone was stuck in Saudi Arabia and Hunter had to throw together a show in a couple of hours and they brought up the NXT roster. And it was such a fun, fresh, exciting show because he could bring up the, he'd bring up uh, um, the undisputed, what, 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 what was the, their name back then? The undisputed, undisputed era. era. That's yes. it. Uh, and you, you, you had a lot of, you had a lot of tools it, that Angel were Cole just versus Daniel Bryan on yes. like no bill. He can't necessarily do that now. It doesn't have the, there's not that lever to pull. Um, so, you know, I, I think giving him a little bit of credit there, at least, you know, he's not, he's not going into battle with the team that he prepared to, to, to do this with. Um, but I think as we'll get in and I think the car saga throughout the night uh, we'll talk about, but I, I think, diving into this opening here, I think a lot of the larger structural issues that they're up against uh, were very evident in the, in the opening of the show. I would say. Well, off the top, they announced that for the women's tag title tournament, we have brackets and they announced the, uh, the following teams, uh, a number of these just, 
you know, people being thrown together. But this is uh, the outline we have. We have Tamina and Dana Brooke, who would take on EO Sky and Dakota Kai later tonight. Alexa Bliss and Asuka against Nikki Ash and Dewdrop. And then on the right side of the bracket, Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah against Zaya Lee and Shotzi. And then Natalia and Sonya Deville against NXT's Nikita Lyons and Zoe Stark. So that will be interesting if those signal uh, call-ups for those two. For Nikita Lyons, uh, I mean, she had experience before the uh, the tryouts last year, but she was just signed after those Vegas tryouts <clears throat> last summer. So, I mean, very new to the WWE system. And uh, Zoe Stark is someone that has had uh, a lot more experience. But we'll see if these are, are call-ups or they're part of the tournament and still uh, considered NXT. But nonetheless, we at least got brackets here. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that match happens on NXT as a way to sort of say, hey, watch NXT this week. There has ramifications for the main yeah. roster. Um, and then maybe they shoot an angle that leads into some sort of story on NXT. But um, yeah, it would be interesting if they brought those two up. Um, but yeah, time will tell. Bailey, Sky, and Kai come out. This, these three do need a, some kind of a name here. This is they a, need a name. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a mouthful as as Bailey would uh, would get to later here. Very very confusing some of these names here. And Bailey says she's here to salvage this uninspired division and she knows that people don't care about watching Becky play dress up every week or cheering for Bianca Belair. Belair would be nothing without Bailey and they are bringing back the hunger. And this was one of those like WWE setups to a term where I I hope to god the the team name is not going to be called yeah. the hunger. I mean, listen, they've had worse names in this. They company. really emphasized here. So um, probably somehow, I, but how will they spell it? That's always the big question. Oh, yeah. Two U's. Two U's, no E. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey calls the fans sheep. They're idiots. EO Sky is a lethal weapon and then refers to Dakota Sky, but she catches herself. She says, I know I said her name wrong and just uh, played with it and had fun with it. And then Kai goes to take over when Alexa Bliss and Asuka come out with Bianca Belair. Bliss just says, you're not winning the tournament because you're going to have to face us. Belair is not done with EO Sky yet. And it leads to Bailey suggesting that the only conclusion to this conflict is for us to have a six-woman tag in four weeks' time at Clash at the Castle in Wales. I was like, okay, that's, that's, uh, that is an option. And Belair accepts. She's like, yes, let's do it in four weeks' time. And then we had a big brawl. They went into the crowd and peaked with uh, Alexa Bliss coming off the barricade with a high cross. But this was a uh, – you know, I am uh, – I cannot say for certain that they were uh, – sweetening this crowd but wwe certainly not getting the benefit of the doubt for me and they're certainly felt to me like they they were just riding uh so, some of the uh the sweetening on on this show in in certain parts which you know you, you do this long enough uh you're, you're gonna get that skepticism yeah just that constant cricket sound that it's, seems to be happening yeah and, and there were times like organically this crowd like got up for stuff in the show mm-hmm. but it also felt like th- there's no way this crowd is reacting to, to this extent for just these very very basic lines. Right. Right. I mean, I think part of, you know, I, I think on paper, you can look at this segment and say, okay, I see what this is. And ending with the brawl was a little bit more heated than I think these segments can kind of get sometimes. Um, but the problem is that everything, at least for me right now in WB programming feels so phony and staged and it doesn't feel lived in. And listen, we know this is fake. Every TV show you watch, it's all fake. When you watch a Marvel movie, it's fake. However, the people putting the story together try to do certain things to help you suspend your disbelief. And WWE just doesn't do that. The language isn't, isn't real. 
The delivery is pretty bad. Um, the scripting, the production, it just, it's very tough to actually buy in to what's happening. So this person says their line and then this person says their line and they fight because the paper told them to fight. Um, it just and very- for many of them, Brian, like yeah. this is the system that they only know. Right. So it's it's not something like of just coming in and snapping our fingers to here's a new playbook. It's like for many of these people, this is the only playbook we've known, and it's been labeled the gospel in this company. Absolutely. And you take someone like, you know, Bianca Belair, has she like how many times has she cut an unscripted promo? Really? Like how many times has she done that? And I think another thing that if I, when it comes to WWE developmental that's not great is that they're being taught how to deliver scripted promos. Who's teaching them how to deliver scripted promos? People who spent their entire career never delivering scripted promos. They bring in acting teachers for like a couple of days, but what? How is Terry Taylor going to tell you how to deliver a script? The guy never delivered a script. You know, Road Dog. You know, Road Dog was not handed scripts back in his day. Um, I, I, I think the, unfortunately the performance are kind of set up to fail. But even if you know Hunter were to say. Okay, you know, here, here's your bullet points. Go out there. Is that going to really do them much good? I think Bailey is very good. She has great delivery, but mm-hmm. it felt like she was also very scripted, um, probably because she was with two people that needed that scripting and needed those bullet points to kind of get there. Um, again, it's nothing against the performers themselves. It's just, unfortunately, it's what the system is and the structure and how they've trained these people up um, to perform on television. Yeah, it, it, it'll be something interesting to watch if the, it's like so much of the system, too, is is catered towards like that, that kind of scripted nature. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like the backbone of this of this, this writing staff is that like that's a huge function of of what the the weekly obligations are as well. Mm-hmm. Seth Rollins and Angelo Dawkins is our first match. The Street Profits are out in a, in a Cleveland Cavaliers colors. And Rollins misses the stomp immediately. And there's a cartwheel drop kick by, Hawk, uh, by Dawkins. And then Ford distracts. And this leads to this huge pounce by Dawkins flying Rollins over the desk. Ford, after the break, gets upset. He grabs a chair. And it leads to him being ejected by the referee. Dawkins hits this incredible Topicon hero with incredible height. Silencer for a two count. Then hits a sky high for a big near fall after avoiding several stomps and then Dawkins is sent into the steps and Rollins misses yet another stomp drives Dawkins shoulder into the mat where he hits the pedigree and that is the ultimate win for Seth Rollins and hits another stomp after the win when Ford runs down sending Rollins out I thought Dawkins looked great in in this match I I thought this um I actually preferred this over the Ford match from last week. I think Angelo Dawkins, you can see he has, he has really gotten himself into like peak condition. And this was like a really fun TV match. I thought, and really great for Dawkins. Yeah. I mean, with, with, uh, it it sounds like with Riddle maybe coming back next week, um, it feels like maybe this thing between Rollins and the street profits is over. And hopefully this can be used as motivation for whatever happens next for the street profits, because, I think there's so much with both of uh, with both those guys, and I'm ready for them to start telling a story with them. Uh, you know, let's really like shoot some angles. Let's really do some stuff here because I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot there. I think they just have to give uh, the audience something to sink their teeth into. Yeah, I, and I think we're way past the point of you know being overly concerned about like Dawkins' fate. Like this to me is like somebody that is ready for if this split happens. That he looks like he is primed himself for uh, to be ready when they split up this team. 
The Mysterios are with Edge in the locker room, and Edge tells them that he has their back tonight, and he tells Dominic that last week when he speared him, it was just an accident, and Dominic is just staring a hole into Edge, and then shoves him, and Ray steps in, insisting it was an accident, and tells Dominic, I've known this man for 20 years, and Dominic shoots back, you've known me for 25, and Dominic can't believe that Ray is taking Edge's side, and off storms Dominic, uh, leaving leaving the locker room, and God knows where he uh, ran into Rhea Ripley somewhere, but uh, we, we would see Dominic uh, later on. It, I, I will give they're telling a story, which I yep. appreciate. Yep. Um, it's, it's time for Dom to do this turn. It, I, we, we, we need it. And I don't want him to turn and join uh, the judgment day. Cause I don't think that sets him up for, for success. Uh, in my dream world, Logan Paul's a heel and Dom turns to be with Logan Paul. Cause like oh he's gosh. young and cool. You know, I, when I think of the Dominic Mysterio character, what 23-year-old wants to be on the road with their dad? It's like, you made me famous and you put me on TV in, like, the least appealing way possible. It's time for Dominic. He's, he's got to, you know, I let's, okay, the, the Eddie Heat spots, I don't need that anymore. Let's Let's get this guy just being a real dick to his dad. That's like, that's what everything's been set up for here. Him and Maria, that's, that's the pairing. These two. Hey, are- hey, if Rhea leaves Judgment Day, then okay. I just don't want him to be a part of of that. Uh, we got a SmackDown promo, so this week we'll get a follow up on on Karrion Cross and then Gunther versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Kevin Patrick is with the Miz and Champa, and Champa explains that Harley Race believed in him. Mentions how he died almost almost three years ago to the day in uh, August of 2019, and he is dedicating his his match to Harley Race tonight. And he shows off one of Harley's old robes, and this will be his moment with Race looking down on him, and Miz in his corner. Lashley will feel his sacrifice. And he's already lost. So they, they have already made this uh, feel like the most important United States uh, title match in years. Yeah. And, and also, I don't know. I feel we'll get into the result. When we All get, right. When we get to the, but no, Ciampa was Ciampa was great here. Ciampa is someone you can probably had bullet points, but he is a guy that clearly Triple H believes in. It's one of the few Triple H guys that are still around. And I think that uh, you watch this show and it's clear who's being set up uh, for something big down the line. I think Ciampa, I think Owens, I think that these are people that um, it's fair to say that Hunter wants to get positioned. Because like you said, it's not going to change overnight. Maybe it's Hunter's really looking, okay, two months down the line. We're going to do a, a proper rebrand. We're going to try to bring people back. And I think it's positioning these people. And clearly uh, Ciampa is one that he feels uh, he has a lot of trust in. Ezekiel against Kevin Owens. So this is kind of revisiting the, the, this feud that's just been going on forever, mm-hmm. although it's, they've kind of taken a pause with, with Kevin gone for, for most of the last uh, month plus. And Owens just charges him at the bell, throws him into the post, into the desk, and then an apron bomb. And the referee is calling for help. We never get an ending to the match. It only goes a couple of seconds. And they explain that Owens has snapped. The officials are out. They take Ezekiel out on a stretcher. And this was just this was more so just a big angle with, with Kevin Owens. And I wonder what this means for the future of the Ezekiel character on top of it. It was a serious injury angle. And you certainly your takeaway from here was Kevin Owens being being primed for something significant and and moving on from this with Ezekiel. Yeah, I mean everything I just said about Champa, uh, I, I would maybe say the opposite about <laughs> in terms of it doesn't seem like uh, uh, Ezekiel is someone that uh, 
Hunter is that uh, interested in protecting or making this a long-term project. So maybe he's going to, um, he'll rest up until his beer grows back a little bit more. Balor and Priest come out and they state that Edge and the Mysterios can't be on the same page and Judgment Day are not afraid of anyone. Fear isn't real. It's a product of your imagination, but danger is real. And Ray is going to find out that Balor is danger. And then Damien takes over and says that they're going to be in Toronto in two weeks and Edge hasn't wrestled on Raw in Toronto in what, 12 years? As Damien was, was clearly just, you know, Peru's and cage match before because everyone knows off the top of their head that Edge last wrestled on Raw in Toronto in May of 2010 against Christian. <laughs> this is an unbelievable stat that they brought up, but he makes the challenge to Edge for two weeks' time in Toronto so that uh, Edge, who started Judgment Day, will now be ended by the group. So that uh, that will be coming up in, uh, in two weeks' time. And Ray's in the back. Edge says that, uh, you know, with Dominic, he's gone off. They don't know where Dominic is, and he offers to help out Ray, but Ray knows that his son is going to come through in the clutch. He's got this. So Finn Balor against Ray Mysterio, but no Dominic to be found at the beginning. And Ray hits a, a series of seated sentons, and then Balor takes over, and he does the three amigos and the Eddie shuffle. Uh, I, I am with you, Brian. Like, I, I, I think, like, these Eddie spots have just become the go-to in like every company as well. Like it is, uh, it has become just like a trademark spot for so many at this point. There's a wheelbarrow into a bulldog by Ray, and then the six one nine misses, but instead he hits Priest, and this allows Balor to ram Ray into the post. Uh, we saw a sunset bomb sending Balor into the barricade, and then uh, with the referee distracted, uh, Priest trips up Ray on the edge of the apron, and this prompts Edge to come down, attacking Priest and taking him through the crowd and and out of here. So that was Edge's night for for the the whole three hour Raw. He did uh, two backstage uh, promos and a brawl with Damian Priest. Uh, so th- that was that. And then we see a code red from Ray for a two count. 619 is cut off. And after missing the coup de grace, Rhea Ripley comes out with a bloody Dominic. And dude, this guy is barely conscious as he is mm-hmm. just dropped onto the entrance area. And this distracts Ray and is hit with 1916 and the coup de grace with giving Finn Balor the victory. So a lot a lot to this uh, storyline-wise and, uh, and match-wise. And time-wise, uh, yes. it's worth saying this is, what, half an hour of the it show? Was, it, it was like two segments and more if the you're including... three segments. The yeah, because <laughs> you had the promo at, at the beginning, and then they went to to a break after that. Then we went backstage. Yeah, th- this this probably took up close to a half hour of the show. Yeah. Um, if you're a fan of, of The Office, this was the length of an episode of The Office. Um <laughs> I love your I, analogies. I, the the like bring it <laughs> bring it down to earth for everybody. <laughs> I just I I, I wanted like this post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. A, that the 12-year thing was so funny because it wasn't like Damien said it with like such belief that he is obsessed with his former mentor. He says, you have not wrestled in Toronto in 12 years. He said, what's it been? About 12 years. (laughs) They couldn't have scripted to say, it's been over a decade, which is what you would say. You wouldn't like, you know, uh, say a decade. But I I think that, you know, this this was for me really indicative of what's the issue with the three-hour Raw now. Um, Ray and Finn Balor should feel special. It should be exciting. Um, but when you send them out and it's not have an exciting match, it's still three segments. Um, and listen, I'm not knocking them. I mean, they had a, they had a perfectly fine, safe match. Um, but it's, I, as an audience member was really starting to, you know, question what else was on television (laughs) at this moment. Um, this was also the segment where my DVR caught up. So Maybe that was part of how I was feeling as well. Yes, I, I got your update of, uh, oh no, I'm, I'm live. When, when, when you're live at, uh, you know, nine, nine, nine twenty five, nine thirty, it's, uh, it's tough. I, I tried my best to give you my, my, my strategy, uh, tips, but, um, so yeah. So but hey, listen, to- we didn't see, we didn't see Dom get beat up. So hopefully. That's right. That's right. He came out. You never saw the actual attack by Rhea Ripley. So that, that could, uh, play itself out, uh, in, in the weeks to come. Sarah Schreiber is with Dana Brooke and Tamina. But more importantly, this was the first time under the Paul Levesque regime that the 24-7 title was has been seen. And Dana wants to enter this tournament to become a double champion. And Tamina has been one of her biggest challenges for the 24-7 title. Bailey and company walk in. They're not interested in her belt, nor is anyone else. And Bailey mentions being the first women's tag team champion. And uh, Tamina is going to take them out in the tournament. Sky just says... I don't like you. And that was our, our setup here. Um, is the 24 seven title on borrow time, Brian? Um, I don't know. It, 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 maybe this is just, I hadn't forget who said it on, but it, it feels like maybe over on SmackDown, they're setting up that like Sammy Zayn's going to get it so that he like, feels like he fits in with the bloodline. That's oh, sort of, he, he was like told he's got, he's got to start pulling his weight now. Cause they've got all these championships. Um, I, I guess that could be a way, you know. That just uh, feels like the natural extension of that. Otherwise, I think there's a lot of fun things you can do with that belt. Um, I think they've, I don't know. I, I think the time has passed for it, probably. there's It's probably a time to retire. I, I don't know if it's a salvageable belt at, at this point, but more so interesting the fact that, you know, if um, it, it, it was at least uh, brought here, it's not just being completely uh, forgotten about. You've also got that SmackDown coming up in a couple of weeks in Montreal, so you certainly could do something with Sami Zayn on on that episode in a few weeks. As you have, you know, Owens is going to be uh, uh, pretty popular in, in on that Toronto show as well, alongside mm-hmm. Edge with his first match on Raw in Toronto in twelve years. In twelve years, yes. Io Sky and Dakota Kai against Dana Brooke and Tamina. So this is our, our lone tournament match that we had on the show. So th- this could be a very long, drawn-out tournament if we're going at the rate of uh, one match uh, per week. But I guess, you know, with, with SmackDown in there, uh, we will get through these. The funny part is you would think, like, we're a month out from this clash at the castle that uh, the finals... the finals would be there. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I was these participants that I would commit myself to, uh, yeah, let's do a six-woman tag that night. Uh, but we will see when when these finals take place. 
Uh, Dana hit a, a big high cross to the floor onto, onto both women. But when we come back, uh, they've got the heat on Dana. Chance of a uh, Bailey sucks from the crowd. And then Tamina gets the tag. Super kick and Samoan drop onto Io Sky. And Dana goes for a handspring elbow on the floor. But Bailey pulls Dakota Kai out of the way. So Dana just crashes into the barricade. Kai makes the blind tag that Tamina doesn't see. And Tamina is... I mean, when she sets up for this super fly splash, she is doing it like it is the scariest thing on earth. It's like this woman's afraid of heights as she's like getting her balance. And then she came off in like slow motion as uh, as uh, Sky was getting her, her feet up here to avoid the splash. Kai hits the running boot, setting up Sky to hit the top rope moonsault and pins Tamina. So Io Sky and Dakota Kai advance and they'll face the winners of Asuka and Bliss against Nikki Ash and Dewdrop. That will happen next week. I wonder what will happen. Uh, who, who knows? Will they? Will I, they I, I think it looks good for Oscar and Bliss. That would be that would I be know. my guess here. Yeah. Will and, it be uh, two heel teams against each other? The team they're they're currently feuding with. Who knows? We, yes. Um, a- a- average match. I, I don't think it was yeah. like blow away or or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it it started off the tournament. It, it was a match. I, I don't think necessarily the the best opponents to showcase Eosky and Dakota Kai. But yeah. then we go to the back, and this was a. Uh, an interesting segment. So Kevin Patrick catches up with Kevin Owens as he is leaving the arena and Owens is threatening Patrick. If he ever comes up to him like this again, he knows exactly who he is and he knows that there are more eyes on this show lately. And it's time to remind people that this is still the Kevin Owens show. So Kevin Owens citing show buzz daily as the, uh, the reason for uh, Ezekiel's demise earlier tonight. And also going in the first hour where he knew that uh, viewership would be high. But the more important thing is that in the background, here we've got this this car crash. This car has driven into a pillar, and you see Nikki Ash and Dewdrop standing outside of the car. And this is where your attention is completely divided uh, during mm-hmm. this segment. But um, something that was, uh, I think it was at the very least, people were interested in what was going on here and a, a reason to like have have some kind of a thread through the show, which this represented. Yeah, quite the uh, quite the thread and quite the payoff uh, that we'll get to. Uh, <laughs> we will get in the there. End. But it's it's just this weird. And again, I know that this is the the company is in this weird spot and like it's this weird structure. But we trust our audience enough to follow this kind of subtle story in the background that we're not directly calling attention to. However, we feel like we have to hold your hand on every other thing, and we also don't think that you will mind if we throw an hour of commercials and video packages at you. It just, it's a very interesting um, kind of dichotomy that they have with their audience. How, how do you, how, how would you have like wanted to handle this? Like, should the announcers have been like calling this out? Uh, like what, what, what's kind of the role in your, like your philosophy of like the broadcasters yeah. of like what we're seeing, should the broadcasters be up to speed and reflecting what we're thinking? It's so it's tough because I think that, and this is going to kind of jump a little bit ahead to what the next segment is, where the show almost, WWE just, they over-explain everything and they call attention to everything and they, they hammer every single point home that when they don't bring attention to something that is so obvious, it just feels off. There's a moment later where some police officers run through the back of a scene and two characters look at them and the camera doesn't pan over to where the cops are running to what a cameraman would naturally like, if you have two things to stare at AJ styles, casually walking through a frame 
and a group of police officers running towards an intruder, you're probably not going to focus your camera on AJ Styles. So I don't quite know what the right way to do it is. I don't know if there's a more subtle blink and you miss it kind of a, of a thing um, that then spreads on social media. But when there's a minute long clip and there's clearly a car wreck in the background that no one talks about. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's just the WWE logic uh, at play. Yeah. I, I I just think like to your point about like so much where it's like, it's, you are hit over the head with every detail that I'll take subtlety when they're going to offer it. And this was one case of where, you know, you you do need to be engaged here and paying attention mm-hmm. to something that's going on in, in the background that, you know, it's it's kind of incumbent on you to be noticing so- something like that. So I, I thought it was like something different for a show that yeah. quite often it's like they are screaming every last detail at you that um, this to me was a case of like something that, you know, you had to actively uh, follow along with. So I, I didn't mind it um, how it was presented. Uh, Dominic is being checked on by the trainer as uh, Ray is standing by, and that takes us to the United States title match between Bobby Lashley and Ciampa, uh, with Ciampa coming out wearing Harley Race's robe along with The Miz. And the match begins where uh, Miz distracts, but Lashley then catches Ciampa behind him. Ciampa landed an inverted DDT popping off of Lashley's shoulders. They're training big strikes. Lashley lands the spear, but then Miz puts Ciampa's foot onto the bottom rope. This prompts AJ Styles to jump the barricade and runs off the Miz through the crowd. Ciampa then rips off the turnbuckle, and this would uh, set up um, a series of, well, at least one big false finish, because AJ and Miz would return right as Lashley is getting set for the hurt lock, and this distracts Lashley, but they explain that they they never touched either of the participants, so therefore the match continues, and Ciampa has enough time to ram Lashley into the exposed buckle, follows with a big near, near strike, and he's on top of Lashley uh, for the near fall that the crowd bites on. There's a fairy tale ending that gets countered and Ciampa applies the Gargano escape with Corey Graves yelling, there is no escape for the almighty, uh, which led to Lashley immediately escaping the, the inescapable Gargano escape. Uh, he catches Lashley with Willow's bell, another big near fall. And then a big slam by Lashley applies the hurt law crowd goes nuts and Ciampa taps out. Um, I thought this was a terrific match. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought these two just did a fantastic job here. There's obviously more of an emphasis on doing some of these big false finishes, even kicking out of guys' finishers. That was certainly not a staple on uh, television. That seems to be um, a lot more liberal use of. But, man, this crowd really got into this match. And this was, um, <laughs> by leaps and bounds, Ciampa's uh, biggest performance on, on the main roster. And I, I would say... Um, you know, better than some of his like final NXT stuff that that he was involved in. So um, I, I thought this delivered in a big way. I agree. I mean, I think they also did a great job of, in a pretty short amount of time, just one week, uh, making this feel kind of important. Uh, yeah. I, it's very rare that you ever hear people kind of talking about a Raw match uh, a couple of days in advance or even the day of. Uh, it's something you see a little bit more with um, with Dynamite sometimes where like the card is kind of, you kind of know every match that's going to be on Dynamite going into it. And people are in the day are sort of talking about, oh, wow, this match or that, you know. Um, and Raw doesn't really do that that often. Uh, and this was one that was established last week. They're bringing up the Harley Race stuff. They, they did the video packages. And I think people were legitimately interested. Plus, there's all the stories of Hunter's really high on, on Chopper. So it's like, how how could this go? Um, and not just that, but 
as we saw in the match, I think the two of them were actually really well uh, matched opponents. So definitely a step in the right direction. Again, it's not going to change overnight, but I think more of this would certainly be welcome. Um, you know, just, just even, hey, set up, why should I tune back in next week? What happened this week that's going to make me want to watch next week? It's a, it's a step in the right direction. So I would definitely give this uh, this segment a thumbs up. Yeah, I thought this was one of the best things on the show uh, for all the reasons you listed of just making this feel important and, you know, just tying in what like um, this to me is maybe the the widest gap, because two months ago, this is if Ciampa is even put in a, a spot like this, like being promoted for a week for a title match. I don't even think that would have been the case. It's a throwaway match where the outcome is signed, sealed and delivered. And no mm-hmm. one is believing in Ciampa. There's no Harley race in the build up to this. There's no big focus on, on the U.S. title. It's just a win for Bobby Lashley. And instead, like they gave this story of what Ciampa's fighting for, which I think is mm-hmm. always great for a match where it's like you you're you're kind of you know forcing your audience to like make like have like an investment on either side to win the match like there's something that each side is fighting for here the guy's title and this other guy's mentor uh dedicating the match to him so i just think sometimes adding like stakes that are involved that an audience can comprehend mm-hmm. it just gives you know substance to your match and and caring about the the winner and i think this was 1000% would not have been the case uh a couple of weeks ago for a us oh, title the- match Exactly. And, and the win meant something. You know, I think WWE is a lot of times so caught up in wanting to protect people. It's a combination of wanting to protect people, wanting to present who they think is star versus star. And you just get these matches where there's no finish at all or, um, you know, the the Balor, you know, Ray or, uh, match earlier. There is a distraction. So the win doesn't, uh, you know, the guy he cheated. So, like, you know, it is what it is. This was a great match uh, between two people that were really out there to try. And when when Lashley won, it felt earned. It felt um, like it advanced the story in some way. And listen, if, if we're going to get to almost kind of like an open challenge sort of situation with Lashley, where he gets to have a lot of great matches with smaller opponents that showcase what he's really good at um, while exposing some younger talent, while we, you know, not younger, but just fresher talent, and then we eventually get to a place where someone defeats him. Uh, great. I think that's I think that's a lot of fun. And I think seeing him in those kind of showcase matches um, is, a, is, is a joy to watch if you're continually building up fresh challengers that can showcase, you know, kind of different sides of his strengths. We came back and we have a shot of the Cleveland skyline as Jimmy Smith notes that this city has produced some great fighters. For example, The Miz. As they cut to the Miz and AJ brawling in the back during the break, I just I I howled at this line. He said it so naturally, like he wasn't even saying it tongue in cheek. I think it's also worth noting that so this was the the beginning of the third hour, and I think it's fair to say that Lashley and uh, Ciampa was the main event of this show because yes. from ten o'clock on there was nothing advertised. Everything that had been set up earlier in the show, the U.S. title match. Uh, Balor, Mysterio, the first round of the of the women's uh, tag title tournament, all happened in the first two hours. I think this company wanted; they were uh, pretty much telling you, "Turn off this show now. There is there is nothing to watch from this point on." Um, it felt it was, it was oddly deliberate that they didn't even at least like float the idea of maybe something will happen in the third hour. You should watch everything well, they advertised was done at ten. 
clearly you were focusing on the office when they had Omos walking in the back with MVP yes. with coming up next. So uh, there you go. It just it felt like Connor like backstage was like, okay, uh, ten to eleven, whatever you guys want to do. I'm uh, I'm leaving the building a little bit early. Oh, Omos wants to walk the ring. Great, cool. Go out there, have a match. So Omos took on the the tandem of Andrea Gershio, who is a. Uh, uh, independent wrestler Mambo Italiano, who's actually uh, one of his trainers was Lance Storm. So he's been wrestling a while. And Spencer Slade, who has been uh, he's an international wrestling cartel guy uh, that's been wrestling for a few years. He was the one with uh, the headgear on. Uh, so Omos just ran through these guys, uh, flattened Slade and then a tree slam onto Andrea in a minute 43. So it was just a destruction by Omos. And this is one guy, Brian, that I, I'm very interested to see what the... Um, what the what the future is like for for Omos? Um, can you get around just the the big monster that destroys everybody? Like how far you can go with an Omos? Um, he'll he'll be an interesting one to watch because this is the first time he was he has not been on for several weeks. Yeah, I, I was I was curious to see if he would be on again. When he when I saw him, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah, it'll be a big it's a big question. Uh, you know, I think we've kind of seen him in singles matches. Uh, you've kind of already done the tag title run with him. Um, so yeah, you know, it's kind of a big question mark what you do with the guy. Um, I still am more of the opinion that he would be better just as someone's, um, manager, someone's heater. I think he can go a lot farther in that, uh, role. Um, but Hey, you know, uh, I think pairing him with MVP is a good, a good step in the right direction. Next week, we're going to get a health update with an exclusive interview from Riddle. I'm glad they emphasized exclusive, like um, like AEW don't have the rights to this interview. It's like WWE is going to get the exclusive next week. Kevin Patrick is with Rollins, who makes fun of Riddle. He's going to just deliver his usual message next week, and he is the gatekeeper of this industry. Riddle flushes his potential down the toilet, and if you don't believe me, then ask Dana White. He thinks Riddle's going to come and retire next week, or Seth is just going to have to Cody Rhodes' ass out the door, and Rollins is also going to have something to say next week. So there you have it. A, a fine promo from Rollins. Where are you at on this, this Rollins character? I was kind of uh, down on it for a while, but I, I, yeah. I think the guy has really um, – I, I think he's kind of found the, the, the character more now that um, he certainly has that confidence about it. Mm-hmm. I, I could do without – like. The, the cackling and all that, but I, I think it's such a staple and I, I don't know if I'm in the majority of people that dislike it. I mean, I, I think uh, Rollins is a fantastic performer. I also, uh, my assumption with the Rollins character has always been that he found out what Vince McMahon wanted to do because for the longest time, this show really was being made for an audience of one. And for a lot of the heels on the show, it feels like their entire characters begins and ends at being annoying. That's it. That's their whole their whole purpose for being is just being annoying, which is yeah. I you find a lot little... of success. Like if you can find that, like I th- I think there's ones that are kind of keen. Like if you if you look at a Sami Zayn, a Seth Rollins, mm-hmm. a, a Miz, like they have found like what works, and it, it's been very effective for them. But I even think with some of those people, they have they have a character, they have a personality, they have motivations, they have weaknesses. Um, the Seth, it's just he's annoying. That it like that's the entire personality. Exactly. What are his motivations? Why does he act this way? What's the you know he's got his catchphrases and he's annoying. Um, so my hope is that under the new regime and with Hunter, 
um, who clearly believes in Rollins a lot, that we can start to flesh this character out a little bit more. Let's let's add some more shades. Let's figure out what his motivations are for things, what makes him act the way that he does. Because um, I think he is such a fantastic performer. Um, and I think it's time to be able to tell like richer stories with him rather than just, I don't like Rollins, I don't like Riddle, and I'm going to laugh about it. Because that's very limiting from a storytelling standpoint. Well, I, I would say that goes uh, verbatim with, with Riddle. And it seems like they're almost calling it out now that this guy has yeah. become this caricature. And if you heard the promo he cut at SummerSlam, it did seem like they are they, they are trying to kind of get that aspect of his character out and, and flesh him out uh, some more. And the fact that Rollins is calling him out for like his repetitive, uh, you know, same promo he cuts all yeah. the time kind of indicates that's where they want to take Riddle into more of a serious direction, which the character does need, I, I think, for, for yeah. the long term. I think both of them need it. And, and, and honestly, I think these two could really benefit from having a really nice long-term story, which it kind of feels like they're they're doing by purposefully holding off this match from SummerSlam. Um, they don't want to just be, oh, we'll be through the scene together in two weeks and we're doing the match. They want to tell a real longer-term story with these two. I think they're both so incredibly talented. Hopefully... This allows them to raise both their games up, and they come out of this feud, both of them a little bit more, a little bit more serious, because I think they're both fantastic talents. Chad Gable and Dolph Ziggler, Cleveland's own Dolph Ziggler, uh, comes out, and we start this off, and they're just having a, a wrestling contest here, uh, with Ziggler getting the best of the Olympian. And uh, Z- Ziggler, I, I like the fact that they were trying something very different, but I think this tells you, like, this crowd was not into this at all at the beginning. Like it was just, uh, you know, they're trained, I think, for not not this kind of style of match and and big stars. And even with the hometown guy and Ziggler here, it was like it, it took a while. And then they kind of uh, evolved the match into more of your your traditional pro wrestling WWE presentation. Uh, Gable hitting the American automatic, the chaos theory, and then missing a moonsault off the top. And then he just goes to town on Ziggler's ankle, repeatedly applying this ankle lock and Ziggler trying to break free. At one point, his ankle gives out as he tries to set up for a super kick. There's a power bomb by Gable, goes back to the ankle lock, angle slam, but Ziggler lands on his feet, landing the super kick, and he pins Gable in his hometown in 633. So uh, a new era here on Raw where the hometown guy gets the win. And then he escapes Otis's attack while still selling the ankle. Yeah, you know, it's the third hour. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> the, they didn't prepare the, you for this one. We didn't get any announcement about this uh, ahead of time. But um, Which yeah. really tells you a lot when they, they don't tell you this match is coming up uh, later in the show. Yeah, it, it felt like this this crowd was tired here, um, yeah. even with, like, Ziggler. But I, I think that also tells you, like, where Ziggler is on on the pecking order. And this is, you know, you're going to see audiences. Like, they react to stars. And late in the show, it's um, like, like this didn't have them on their feet. Yeah. Next week, um, we get promos from both sets of teams for the women's tag title tournament. We hear first from uh, Nikki and Dewdrop, and then Bliss and Asuka, and they're cutting their promo in the uh, the haunted parking lot because in the backdrop, uh, we see all of the the security and what they're dealing with, and then Bailey and company, who that's what I'm calling them, Bailey and company for now on. They interrupt Bliss and and Asuka as security runs past them, and then um, I guess Aaron Sorkin is uh, is directing this because we like. We got like the, the walk and talk here with, with Bailey as AJ passes them here. Thought though the West Wing was on here as he was like, what, we have all these ships crossing through the night, all these these different uh, characters that are interacting. I listen. I appreciate it. You go back and you watch some some Raws from twenty years ago. There's some intricate camera blocking happening happening backstage. 
I'm glad that's back. You know, get rid of the standing in front of a curtain and a and a TV with the raw logo on it. Give me give me more of this. Give me a lot of people backstage interacting. I, I like the fact that we just segued from one thing to the other. You've yeah. got the parking lot thing going on. Instead of AJ just doing the usual like walk, it's you know, he he passes by as coworkers would that work mm-hmm. in the same area and and then it's uh teeing up the match so our main event is aj and the miz in a no dq match uh with miz wrestling in his my balls are massive shirt that i am still awaiting to see a fan wearing one of these listen uh maybe this is hunter you know he wants to he wants to at least give give some respect to vince you know let's not completely wash him away let's keep some of the balls this was his this might have been one of his last t-shirt ideas AJ, uh, he is uh, running to the steps. He brings out a table, but Miz stops him, puts the table back. The crowd is sad. And then Styles uh, brings Miz onto the the announcer's desk. Miz tosses him off of the desk over the barricade, landing on the floor. That looked like a fun landing. And then Miz starts using a kendo stick, and AJ takes control of the kendo stick. He lands a phenomenal forearm on Miz, but all of a sudden, Ciampa, who's just come out of nowhere, yanks the referee out. Styles goes for a Styles clash on Ciampa, but then he eyes the table on on the floor and it leads to Ciampa being sent off the apron through the table and then the phenomenal forearm is stopped when Miz blasts a chair at AJ into a skull crushing finale and Miz gets a two count so very big near fall here and a kick out from the guy's finisher Miz uses the kendo stick on AJ's leg and then Miz gets knocked into a chair in the corner setting up the styles clash and AJ wins in 12 minutes and 34 seconds but then AJ it's like 12 it's it's like 1056 and yeah. this AJ must have like stood through the longest 4 minutes of his career he's standing there and he's got to like subtly be concerned of this intruder that is in the audience who got to the front row and there you see security removing Dexter Loomis and he is taken away and the announcers have to like semi react to this without like oh my god is that dexter loomis it's what what what's going on like that very awkward like oh it's a shoot uh kind of reaction and so dexter loomis is taken out we've still got like two minutes left yeah and dude aj is just in the ring forever like you're waiting for someone to attack him and then finally like mercifully this goes off the air but aj is just there forever in this ring i don't know if they ended early the match um because this just felt like time stood still for the time the bell rang and then the show going off the air yeah it's um First of all, I don't know if you could have an an anti pop, but I feel like that's what happened with Dexter Loomis. Like clearly, like they want you to have your focus on that that area of the screen. Um, again, this is where I think WWE struggles with subtlety because they can't really like do actual subtlety. Because I think if you're doing that here, it would be well. If this were real, they wouldn't even put the camera on them. AJ wouldn't stop mid ring and stare at what's happening uh, in the crowd. Um, so maybe it would be better if they just, like, didn't show that and it was just on social media. I don't know. Um, but then when Dexter Loomis, like, comes up and you see the you see his hair and they, they announce, is that Dexter Loomis? No reaction from this crowd whatsoever. Um, and, 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 you, and you probably had a crowd that was, like, thinking, you know, we, we've had these recent, like, returns and stuff like that. I'm sure many yeah. in Cleveland were thinking, like, Johnny Gargano, which, which – uh, I, I, my only fe- my my thinking about why everything was kind of so subtle throughout the evening, why you wouldn't do the more WWE thing of like 
halfway through an interview, you hear a loud, loud crash and the camera runs over. And oh my goodness, this, you know, there's this car crash and you're kind of building up what's going on here tonight and building up the pandemonium is I think a lot of people would assume it was Johnny Gargano. Um, I, I was even expecting it maybe with everything with, with Ciampa going on, um, you know, on the show. You know, I, it's tough. I, I question the, this, this booking and bringing in Loomis. I just don't. Do, do you think it I gets think into? In, to bring, do you think it gets into the trap at all? And, and 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 I do feel like 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 for for a time like AEW kind of got into this. Like it's it's mm-hmm. the very it's an easy pop to like bring in someone new. And I think at the moment you're kind of training your audience. Like tune into the show. You're probably going to get one of these returns. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Dexter Loomis would have been very high on my list, but we'll reserve judgment to see what they have planned for the guy right. because I. It's it's a tough character, uh, I think, but maybe they have this grand idea for him. But well, it, it almost does also, feel, yeah, yeah. It, it just feels like this is a this is kind of a pattern that they're getting themselves into. And I don't know how deep you go of bringing people back because a lot of them, right. like the quality ones, are not at your disposal. Well, and I think that uh, when it, when it comes to AEW, I think uh, a lot of people are questioning why is you know why is Tony Khan signing so many of these people, and I think that. Now I think we're really starting to see that that really benefiting them in that there's a lot of people that they signed that I'm sure Hunter would love to come back that signed there and signed deals because, oh, well, Vince McMahon, how, Vince McMahon could be around for another decade. Uh, you know, I, it's better for me to go, you know, elsewhere that, you know, again, I, I do question. I mean, I think the lack of uh, a massive re- response to Dexter Loomis, who was you know, he was a, a mid-card pushed kind of comedy character there at the end of NXT. Really never showed up on NXT 2.0 uh, at all. They had like, if I'm not mistaken, they had the big wedding. On he, the, he came back for that, yeah. That, yeah. and then they, that was the, the premiere of NXT 2.0. And then they never brought that back. Right, right, right. Pretty much wrapping up that story. And then he was never part of, you know, NXT 2.0 uh, from that point on. And then you had carrying. Well, he, he was, he, yeah. he was doing the whole, uh, like, it was him and Indy. Doing the the stuff with uh, Duke Hudson and and Persia Parada, and then there was the correct, week the, yes. the releases happened and they were just gone. So th- that was correct. that was he, right. he was there for a little bit, yeah. And then you saw on on SmackDown with Karen Cross where he didn't necessarily get a massive reaction either. And that's not necessarily me knocking them as talents or knocking the audience around to who they are, not knowing who they are, but they were never. They weren't really portrayed as stars on the main roster. Dexter Lewis was never even on the main roster. And we all know what happened with Karrion Cross with the way they handled him for a couple of weeks. So I, I would question bringing these talents in this way, that you're expecting there to be like a big shockwave or a big, oh my goodness, yeah, I, I got to learn what happens next. Not saying that you can't bring them back. I just question bringing them back uh, in this way, as though there's such big names that it will be a shocking return yeah, for the, everybody. The- those two, like Cross and Loomis, these are ones that I feel it's going to be incumbent on your booking of them that we look back right. and it's like, w- w- what a great uh, pickup this was coming back. And this guy had a vision for these two that had played itself out versus being, you know, if you put a Bray Wyatt on, place is going to go nuts for that yeah. first time. Um, but they, like just like I was going over the, the names that were released and like you're looking at them and like I, I don't know how many are jumping off the page at you. And mm-hmm. and there's also like this is a new vision for a lot of these characters that you do have on the show that 
you can play around with. Like there is a lot of interesting parts that you have to play with already um, that I don't know how much you have to go out there unless you feel the need for this surprise factor yeah. for the first couple of weeks. And I, I think both of these talents as well would have benefited from more of a uh, more of a rollout uh, and a, a reintroduction to the audience uh, where people can sort of build up some excitement for them. I think just they're here again is not um, especially doing it back to back shows as well, I, I, I would say. All right. Well, there you go. That that was raw. I, I do have to say that I, I do like, um, you know, certain changes that, that we have seen. Uh, like I have found it to be um, I, I think I feel it's a much more smoother show to, to get yeah. through. Um, I, I think this was like a, a step down from from last week's raw. But nonetheless, um, the Chompa Lashley thing, I think, was excellent. You, I think the overall quality of wrestling, I think it's undeniable, has increased in this this very short sample size uh, we have. And that does make a difference for a show. Um, but but as you point out, like I I think the three hours, it's the three hours. And you might mm-hmm. have all the great ideas in the world. I think it's really tough to on any consistent basis um, hit a three hour show that is just going to be perfectly digested and you're coming out of it wanting more. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's, I do think it's possible. I think it's possible to do a good three hour show. I think the problem is that I think they've kind of slid in some bad habits over the 10 years of doing a three hour show. Um, it's going to take a long time to sort of reverse that and fix that. Um, but I will say everything that Hunter's done, I think they're all steps in the right direction. Uh, I don't think there's anything where I look at and I go, oh, man, they it was better a month ago. I think that they are moving in the right direction. And a lot of the stuff will just take time. Uh, you can't have um, you, you can't have long term storylines overnight. It takes a long term. That's how it happens. And I think they're stepping in the right direction. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that they are. It's not a guarantee they'll kind of fix all their issues, but I think that they're in um, in a position to do so. And even though I, you know, obviously was kind of critical and I have my, you know, my feelings uh, about um, the way they currently produce their TV, um, I am still kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt and not necessarily just assuming the worst um, of, oh, well, this thing they set up this week, they won't follow up on it next week. Or, you know, in a week, maybe they just decide not to do this tag title tournament or maybe Edge doesn't end up having that match. Um, I think they at least are gaining that trust back. Right. It's a great point that I I feel just if. But like, let's say they've they've got things mapped out through Survivor Series, okay? And they and they know where they're going for the September pay per view, the October pay per view, and November. Just like three months of here are some of our our key A, B, and C storylines, and just the fact that you would have someone committed to getting to that November like peak point, and you're not going to just disrupt things one week or just out of the blue. I think inherently your show is going to benefit from that consistency and just working backwards. This doesn't have to be you're planning things a year out, but just on a short term and you stay committed and you have that kind of buy in from your audience that, hey, you announce something, you're going to see it. I just think inevitably the show is going to be better received when you have week to week consistency and and you know where you're going and can go backwards. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, the best form of advertisement that any sort of show or media or album or any sort of piece of entertainment can have is positive word of mouth and recommendation from a trusted source. So I think that the more that people give the show, uh, give the show a chance. And the more that I think friends of theirs tell them, Hey, it is actually getting better. Um, and maybe even the more that, you know, some like 
Sports Illustrated or ESPN or something writes an article in a couple months of, hey, Raw's turning a page and here are the fresh new stars you should tune in and watch. Um, you know, a lot of these are going to be gradual. They're going to they're going to take time. Um, and I'm I am excited to see where they get. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple months we see a big flashy, almost like rebrand around the draft of then kind of making the announcement of, hey, now is the time for the new the new WWE. All right. We do have uh, one super chat here. Requesting reboot, keep it two thousand. Yes, uh, a very, a very well remembered uh, series with uh, the great Nate Milton and Brian Mann. We have a few pieces of feedback uh, from the forum, so we'll quickly uh, go through those. And uh, Tanise here from Georgia, Hunter loves his video packages. I know changes will come steadily, but the opening twenty minute monologues must go. They should have started with the tag tournament rehabbing Kevin Owens into a serious character is the right call. Rhea Ripley abusing Dominic is something I never knew I needed in my life until now. It should happen every week. Dexter Loomis is back and the black and gold invasion continues. This new era of WWE has been competent so far. Take care. Good people. Uh, we have Hernus from New York City. NXT Owens is back. DIY is coming back. Sometimes when you're looking for a submission, you have to do it yourself, said Corey Graves as Ciampa used the Gargano escape. Uh, the winners of this tournament, uh, Sky and Kai, do you see them facing Sasha and Naomi to unify the titles? Do you think that is the big payoff to this tournament is the return of Sasha and Naomi at, at the end of the tournament? Um, I mean, it's certainly one way to go. Um yeah, you know, it's 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 one way to go. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily would go that way. I think that there's uh, better things for Naomi and Sasha to both be doing if they do come back that isn't necessarily being in this team. It sort of felt like, um, I don't know. I, it, it's, not, it's not the placement I would put them uh, both in, personally. You could do it. You could do it. You know, they, they technically never drop the belts. Um, you know, it's, it's a direction you could go. Uh, Muggen writes, Raw has gone two for two. The ongoing mystery throughout the night kept me hooked, and it paid off well with the return of Dexter Loomis. The in-ring action was strong, with Ciampa Lashley being the match of the night. Uh, Bailey's new group continues to flourish, and I bet Tegan Knox will fill in for the six-woman tag in Cardiff if either Oscar or Alexa will be removed in storyline. I also liked how they're booking matches in advance instead of doing the week-to-week planning. Overall, the Triple H regime continues with another solid outing. Um... And then the last one here is from Nas, who says, if this show ended with the United States title match, this would have been a really good show. The third hour really brought the show down. Ciampa's promo was so good, he really won the lottery with Vince going. Kevin Owens matters once again. While I applaud them for trying to big up the women's tag, uh, but other than Dakota and EO, no one cares for any of these teams. Another enjoyable show, very optimistic for the coming weeks. And I think that sentiment is with most people. Mm. I think there is an optimism that uh, you can't ride forever. But I, I would say, like, thus far, I think there's been enough that people have a reason to continue that that optimism with a program that has been, you know, it has been very tough on its fan base for uh, a long amount of time. Mm-hmm. And now for the first time in their lifetime, they're seeing it in someone else's vision. But again, we are we are two weeks in. And I think it's um, ridiculous expectations that also come with that. Absolutely. And I mean, I know that I, I might have been a little more negative on a lot of things on this show, but it's uh, listen, I'm trying to be here and speak for the three million people that stopped watching the show over the last five years. And I don't think that just because, hey, some of the booking is a little bit better than it was a month ago. Um, I still think there are large issues that, you know, we talked about that I think are worth um, bringing up and are the reasons why so many of those people stopped watching. So, yes, they, they, they are making progress. There are there are clear incremental changes that are that are happening. 
Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think they're in a position to fix those issues. Um, it's such a shame that Hunter, who clearly had spent many years preparing for this moment, um, doesn't necessarily do it. Uh, he doesn't get to do it under the, the conditions that he had been you know, preparing for. Well, that is going to wrap things up here on uh, Rewind to Raw. But I uh, want to thank you, Brian, for uh, for stepping in uh, to join me. It's always great to uh, catch up with you. And uh, for those who want to catch more of uh, of your thoughts, your opinions that are out there, and whatever else you want to uh, you want to mention, what is going on in the world of Brian Man? I mean, no one wants my opinions. That's why I don't I don't really tweet about wrestling or any of this stuff. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> much anymore, but uh, we we came to out. you. We, we got to hear from Brian. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Uh, check, check out, um, if you want wrestling stuff from me, uh, Outside Interference, the, the YouTube channel um, that I have. Um, go check that out there. Uh, we've got uh, Better Than You, the CM Punk MJF video I did is about to cross one and a half million views. So wow. go help put that over the, over the, the hump. And uh, if everything goes according to plan, there'll be another video by, uh, before the end of the year. And uh, I'm hoping there's some other cool stuff I can announce. Uh, but that's all I can say right now. Ooh, I yeah. like it. Very, uh, very, very <laughs> subtle. Very subtle. We were, I, I think people, it, one time when we had Brian on, uh, he, did, he did drop like a little uh, teaser in the background, much like Raw oh, was yeah. taking from today. So you always got to be looking uh, on in the, in the background as well. But yes, uh, Brian um, and, and his group. I'll Bay say this, there's, the, there's no hints in the in the. No, 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 no car that's about to go through the wall behind you or anything like that. Um, but yes, if you have uh, not checked out uh, the, the Punk and MJF video, the series uh, chronicling the Kenny Omega Hangman Page program, uh, very, very well received as, uh, as the numbers, I'm sure, indicate. Uh, a, a viral sensation is one Brian Mann, and it's always great when we get a chance uh, to chat with him for a bit. I will be back on Tuesday, G1 Climax Podcast. Uh, Bruce Lord will be with me, so look out for that uh, Tuesday afternoon for members at postwrestlingcafe.com. You can follow Brian at Brian Max Man on Twitter, and uh, I'm sure we will do this again sometime. Brian, thank you so much. Thanks to all of you in the chat room and for downloading the show, and that will conclude Rewind to Raw. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.